Thank you, Bradley. Powerful. Saints and angels song, the love of God. Well, that's been our theme for I Perceive that opened up last night to a spectacular Mother Nature welcome. I tell you what, at 7 o'clock the snow was going horizontal in St. Joseph. But you know what? Praise God. In spite of that weather, 320 people came out anyway. Isn't that an amen? Praise God, yeah. I want to show you two pictures. So this is the new St. Joseph Church. Beautiful old church. I think we're the first public event in that sanctuary. And you've got to slip up there some Sabbath. It is gorgeous. All glass walls to the floor. It's a beautiful congregation. So anyway, last night's theme, the anniversary of Charles Darwin and God, and so we got into philosophical naturalism versus philosophical supernaturalism, Darwinism, creationism, and a very uh, responsive crowd last evening. God was good. You were praying. God heard those prayers. We got off to a great start. Now we're going to go again tonight. This is nine nights long. This is something new that we are trying, uh, sponsored here at uh, Pioneer. Nine highly concentrated nights in a row. Because you are praying, praise God, Karen and I were able to make it all the way to the meeting last evening. Let me tell you what happened to us. You know this big bridge outside of Berrien? Five-lane bridge. You know that five-lane bridge, all right? It's going over the overpass. We're, we're just coming off the, uh, the off-ramp, coming from our house, we're going to head to St. Joe. I'm going 20 miles an hour, so I'm not speeding. And I'm telling you, as soon as I got onto that bridge, the car went into a fishtail. And you know how you, you, you try to react? You, you correct it. You always turn it into the skid, and then, then it moves the other way, and you turn back. And the first thought that came to me was, we had an Andrews University student killed on this bridge just like this. The first thought. As I'm seeing headlights coming this way and headlights behind me, and we're now moving into that slow motion, 180 degree. At a time like that, you don't even have time to pray, trust me. You're just sitting there. I was amazed that my pulse was so slow. That was probably the problem, too slow. But just sitting there, and that car, praise God, and thank you for your prayers. That little SUV, it's a little Blazer, 96 Blazer, that thing just turned sideways, went into, you know that center lane, that no man's lane in, in the middle? Went into that lane, and then all of a sudden just stopped. The tail end just far enough so that shoom, the traffic coming behind, and the front end just in the inches necessary for the two cars who all of a sudden start honking. Like, what am I supposed to do? Please. You think I did this on purpose? Oh, it, it was just one of those moments. And the very next thing the Holy Spirit said to me, and I'm telling you the truth, the very next thing the Holy Spirit said to me is, Dwight, I just wanted to remind you, this isn't just another little lectureship series. You are in a war, and this lecture is a part of my mission. Boy, keep that in mind and drive safely. (laughs) So thank you for your prayers. We did make it, and 320 others were there. Now here's the deal before I pray and get into plunge into our teaching today. I need to say this, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We need you to come tonight. Last night was a great night. Weather was no good. But I need you to come tonight. It's wonderful to get up 
in a new setting and to look out over an audience and you, you're seeing familiar faces. That just does an evangelist's heart so good. I know how it works. We learned it in South Bend last year, and so that's why I'm taking this little extra minute now. You show up, you say, hey, listen, we let Dwight know we were there. We're supporting the meetings. Now we're going to pray. We showed up opening night. We're staying at home from here on. Please don't do that. If you didn't come last night, come tonight. The weather's going to be so much better. I heard it's going to be 70 by sunset tonight. And so you're not going to have any problem. No, I'm serious. You're not going to have any problem with slippery roads. So just come, please. I need you to come. Now listen, students, listen to me carefully. We're taking a bus. We're taking a big bus up tonight because we want you there. This is a whole new way of doing evangelism. That lecture last night wouldn't have been done in anybody else's series, but we're, we're trying something new. We're, rest, we're, we're trying to wrestle with thinking people, looking at the character of God in this book. Tonight's message, Star Wars, When the Empire Strikes Back, the greatest epic in the history of the universe. And tonight we get to plunge into that. I want you to come tonight. We're going to have you out of there. We start right at 7. We'll have you out of there by 8, 8.15. You can still have your wonderful Saturday night plans in place. I need you to come tonight. And by the way, if you would be free tomorrow night, that would be wonderful. Monday night would be great as well. The point is, if you could come all nine, eight nights that are left. I understand you can't. Look, I know this community. I know the campus. But those of you who would just be sitting at home watching TV anyway... This is better than TV. Trust me. And we have a whole team of people praying earnestly. God, pour your spirit out. I've met new friends and guests who've been watching television. The the nine billboards in St. Joe has been all a part of an effort. Say, come, 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 come. Come and join us for this reflective time. And so please, come tonight. Especially tonight and tomorrow night. If you come to those two. God will bless you. By the way, bring your cell phone tonight because starting tonight, Q&A. At the end of my lecture for the next eight nights, Q&A, live Q&A. No, no uh, taking your questions and looking them over for 24 hours on the spot. I'll have my iPhone. I have it right here. You'll send it to me. I'll get the question, and uh, we'll, we'll have some time for interaction at the end of the lecture. So I hope you can come tonight. And please keep praying. God heard your prayers yesterday, and he's going to hear your prayers for tonight. Let's pray right now. Dear Father, what Bradley just sang, the love of God, wow. If, the, if every ocean was ink and every stalk a quill and all of us subscribe by trade, we could write and write and write and write and write forever and we would never capture the immensity of your love. Now, Father, given your love, how then should we live? What about our love? Teach us. Teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm on my way from South Bend to Chicago on a commuter flight. And because of the arrangement, I got assigned, the word is, I got consigned to the last seat in the commuter flight. It's the worst seat, trust me, in the plane. I'm muttering my whole way back down the aisle. I see, however, there is a businessman, very well-dressed, older man, sitting in the aisle seat. I have to crawl over him to get to the window. And as I'm crawling over him, I notice that he's taken his ticket stub, you know, that they let you keep, and he stuck it in his glasses so it's just sticking up like this. 
Very interesting. So I crawl over him. I sit down, and I, I want to get a conversation going. So I tap him. I say, listen, is, is that, those of us that sit on the back, are we supposed to be doing this? <laughs> so he laughed, and we, we fell into conversation. Turns out he's a management consultant for some Fortune 500 companies. I'm a speaker flying across the country to speak. He's a Jew. I'm a Christian. So what are you speaking on? He asked. I said, the 11th commandment. He looked at me and he got this incredulous expression. He said, the 11th commandment, good grief. We have a hard enough enough time with the 10. I don't know what we do with an 11th. (laughs) 11? You guys are something. You know what? Maybe that Jewish gentleman is right. What do we do? with the 11th commandment. Another Jew, also a gentleman, but much younger, is facing his last 24 hours on earth. When you're on death row, you pick your words very carefully. No flim-flam and fluff. You You are going to move to what is the deepest in your heart. When you're counting down, every word counts. And so Jesus looks into the flickering orange of that upper room torch. And he looks into their upturned faces and he speaks. We come to this moment in our series. Let's put the title slide on the screen, please. This is our second semester series, The Last Days, The Last Seven Days of Jesus' Life. In the fourth gospel, we've been in the fourth gospel, first semester, fourth gospel, this this semester. Title of this teaching, of course, The 11th Commandment. You see that website, www. Dot pmchurch.tv. You're here visiting. We're glad to have you. You can get all of our podcasts and video casts right there. Study guides are there as well today. No study guide. This is so clear. You don't need a study guide. Trust me. Open your Bible with me to the... To, we're now in John 13. We were in John 12 the last time you and I were together. Now it's John 13. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. I'm in the New King James Version here. We'll cut to the chase, get to the 11th commandment right here, right now. John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover. Remember, John is the only gospel writer that indicates there are four Passovers in Jesus' ministry, so we know the exact length. It's three and a half years. He carefully chronicles the passing of the Passovers. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Now, this is the bookend that begins the last 24 hours, and we're going to be slowly going through those 24 hours. We're not going to hurry through this day and time. Drop down now to verse 34. If you have a red-letter Bible, these words are bright red. Jesus speaking to 11 faces. One of them has left never to return. He too will be dead in less than 24 hours. Jesus speaking to the 11. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's on the heart of the man who's about to die? I give you a new commandment that you love one another. 
lest you are tempted to conclude that love is some sort of passing fancy of Jesus till he gets to the big red meat stuff of his last will and testament, I need to remind you that in the upper room portion of these chapters of John, John 13, we'll include 17 in that, five times, five times Jesus will speak these words, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Love one another. Five times those words spoken from his lips. In fact, what you're going to notice if you ever read that 13 to 17 in one sitting, you will notice the word love appearing outside of those five. In fact, I noticed that. And I said, no, I'm, going to, I'm going to circle every love word or derivative. Loves or loved or loving. I went through it. You know how many I found? 33 times. John 13 to 17, 33 times. 31 of those times on the lips of Jesus. Don't tell me that this is some kind of an aside, a little, a little passing tete-a-tete before he gets on to the heavy stuff. This is it. This is what is on the mind of the master before the master's death. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Which, of course, is hardly a, a, a new commandment. I mean, please, millennia earlier, God himself the pre-incarnate Christ, by the way, who's in the upper room today, tonight. God himself thunders from the rocky crag of Mount Sinai, and you remember that, and he said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Leviticus 19, 18. It's no new commandment. It's been around for millennia. In fact, Jesus himself has woven it into parables. He's, it has been embedded in life incidents in Christ's ministry. So how can Jesus call this a new commandment? Well, I'll tell you why he can call it a new commandment. You know that as well. In less than 24 hours, his followers are going to, with their own eyes, witness a radical, bloody redefining of love that they will never forget. The human race will never forget for the rest of time. Love will be redefined in the context of Calvary. President Ronald Reagan, you ever heard of him? I was talking to my PowerPoint guy, uh, Robin Hardy, who's running the PowerPoint for me up in the mezzanine. I say, hey, Robin, you, you know President uh, Ronald Reagan? Oh, yeah. Were you alive? Were you born? Was he around? No. So he's, he's way back. But President Ronald Reagan quoted Jesus from the upper rooms. You know that? I shared this story last night, by the way, with, uh, as we're talking about Darwinism, because Darwinist uh, scientists cannot explain how, uh, how self-sacrificing fits into their scheme. They, what they want to call a kinship selection or the preservation of, of maternal genes. doesn't make sense. So we're looking at self-sacrificing love as well. But Reagan quoted these words. And, and, and here's the incident. I saw it on TV after the fact. An Air Florida, Air Florida flight taken off from National Airport in the nation's capital, which coincidentally is named today Ronald Reagan International Airport. This Air Florida flight had been de-iced, but too long on the tarmac. Some of you remember who are a bit older than college students. You remember that that plane attempted to take off, but the ice had already formed on the leading edges. It lost its lift, came down over the bridge, over the Potomac, in the nation's capital, took off the side of that bridge, crashed, let's put it on the screen, crashed into the Potomac, the fuselage broken half, disgorging its surviving occupants. That's a picture. Got it off of Google. That's the Air Florida. And then they sent in the rescue helicopters. Put that next picture, please. Rescue helicopters come in, and they're... 
and they're hovering over in the news cams, and this is before 24-hour cable as much as today. But they're going, and they're dropping a life ring. They find a ball-headed man. You remember this story? They find a ball-headed man. They drop him the life ring. They say, hold on. And he, he, sees, a, he sees a flight attendant. He puts the, throws a ring to her. She grabs on. They drag them to the shore. Paramedics waiting. They come back for the bald-headed man. He gets the ring. He sees somebody else. He throws it. They come back for him again. That happened again and again. When they finally came back for him the last time, he's gone. Slipped into the frigid waters of death. He's gone. Ronald Reagan that night stood before the nation live television and quoted Jesus in intoning the sacrificial death of this unknown at the time stranger. Who was he? And he quoted these words of Jesus, John 15, 13. Greater love... You can almost say this out loud with me, can't you? Greater love has no one than this, than that he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus, just moments after the 11th commandment, will breathe those words. I'm telling you what, there is no question. Calvary has rewritten self-sacrificing love forever and ever. Amen. But did you notice what Jesus says here? Let's put that line that Jesus has just spoken. Because as I was brooding on this passage this last week, I suddenly realized, wait a minute. Put the line up, please. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. So I pulled out my Greek. I said, I want to check the, the, uh, the tense here. Yep, it's aorist. It means punctilia, one point in the past. Jesus, in other words, Jesus is not saying, I want you to love one another as I'm about to love you. That's a way I've always read it. I'm about to love you this way and you do the same. No. He says, as I already did love you. Well, what are you talking about, Lord? What did you already do? Chapter 13. What did he already do? Walks into that room and Dr. Luke tells us they are red hot. The 12 are red hot and angry debate over who's going to be numero uno in the kingdom of Christ that he's surely about to set up. They are fighting cats and dogs. And whoever, and we know the two that were assigned to find prepare this upper room. You guys are the ones who will need to provide for a servant because you obviously forgot to order a servant and I'm not doing it. And nobody moves the basin and water. The towel are there. Nobody moves. And Jesus strips down like a slave naked to his waist. And watch what happens. This is verse, what, verse 4. Look at this. Jesus rose from supper. Laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water. You can hear the water splashing in a very silent room in which you could have heard a pin drop. Nothing but splashing water now. And he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. That's the love. That he's talking about. As I just loved you. What is it? Self-sacrificing love. It's love that says, I'll be the slave. You be the master. I know my position is higher than you, but I'll be the slave. You be the master. I serve you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you. Let's read the, let's read the 11th commandment again. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have just loved you, that you also love one another. By this, verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I tell you what, it is unmistakable 
unequivocal. It is unconditional what Christ has just declared, not just to the 11, but to everybody who would call him or herself a follower of his. By this, all, red and yellow, black and white, by this, all, literate and educated, rich and poor, by this, all, first world, second world, third world, by this, the whole world will know, you people are my people if you have love for one another. I mean, you can't miss the point. So the question that begs to be asked right now is, are we a loving people in here? In here, not out there. I don't care about out there. Are we a loving people in here or wherever it is you're watching from right now? Are we a loving people in here? Or are we, as Mark Twain once cynically put it, good in the worst sense of the word? I mean, you've known people like that, haven't you? Present company accepted, of course. People who are so right in their truth, who are so correct in their orthodoxy, who are so proper in their observances and and standards, but they are as mean as the blazes. Don't ever do business with them. And pray to God they never move in next door to you. Please. They're right and proper and correct and awful. Good in the worst sense of the word. It's like this, this little, this little, uh, this jingle out. Somebody wrote this. I'll find it. Oh, that's it. To live with the saints above, oh, that will be glory. To live with the saints below, well, that's another story. Huh? Good in the worst sense of the word, like the little English girl prayed, Oh God, make the bad people good and the good people nice. (laughs) Are we a nice people? I'm talking about Andrews University, where you work. Are we a nice people? Is that what Berrien Springs has concluded? It's really great to have these people. They are something. They are very nice. Are we a nice people? Are we a loving people? Or are we good in the worst sense of the word? Wow. What kind of people are we at Pioneer Memorial Church and Andrews University and wherever it is you're watching from and live streaming right now? In his classic Love Within Limits, the late Lewis Smedes, a delightful ethicist, I had the privilege of interviewing him once on our evidence program. Lewis Smedes, in his book, makes this observation. I put the words on the screen for you. I want you to take a look at this. God weeps when people think they can love only him. God is the first to admit that he alone is not enough for man or woman. Keep reading. People need people as surely as they need God. Because God knows us. And here comes the line that I love. Because God knows us, his redemptive love creates a company of love sharers. Don't you like that? A company of love sharers. That's what we're to be. A company of love sharers. That's what Christ has called the third millennial church to be. A company of love sharers. I love the way Desire of Ages puts it. Put Desire of Ages on the screen. Certainly concurring here. uh, you, You see the words there. Love to man and woman is the earthward manifestation of the love of God. Bradley just sang about the love of God a moment ago. This is the earthly manifestation of it. It's love to each other. It was to impart this love to make us children of one family. By the way, how many families? One. How many families? One family. The whole human race is the same family as yours. 
You're not a member of another family. To make us children of one family. It was for this that the King of glory became one with us. And when his parting words are fulfilled, love one another as I have loved you. When we love the world as he has loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Okay, I just want to find out how many here want to go to heaven. Put your hand up if you want to go to heaven. Hey, I just found out how we get fitted for going to heaven. You want to be ready when Jesus comes? Here it is. Love one another. By loving, we are fitted for heaven. What's up with that? We are fitted for heaven. Why are we fitted for heaven? For we have heaven in our hearts. What did Jesus say? By this, put it on the screen, look at that. By this, all the world will know that you are my people if you have love for one another. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's the, here's the question. What would the 11th commandment look like around here? All right? What I want to do in these closing moments, and then I'll end with the story. What I want to do in these closing moments is reflect with you as your pastor. I've been around a few years. I had a chance to watch, be part of life here. I'm concerned about four areas. And I'm going to reflect on these four. Area number one, the workplace. The workplace. Area number two, race relations. Area number three, gender relations. And area number four, cyberspace. What would the 11th commandment mean for us? What would it do? How would it affect the way we treat each other in the workplace? Now look, I understand. There are times when we must come to a parting of the ways for whatever reason. I've gone through those times too. I understand that. And by the way, I also understand, now listen very carefully, there are always two sides. I've only been around the block one or two times in my short life, but I have learned there are always two sides to the story. And if you've only heard one side, you need a little voice inside of you saying, but there's another side to this. All right? I understand that. But here, 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 here's, my, here's what I'm wondering, kind of out loud with you. Could there be a way to avoid some of the rawest can I make that word? Some of the rawest wounds that I encounter as a pastor. The wounds, the hurt, and the pain that comes with hiring and firing. It hurts. Now look, I wonder if it might turn out differently for Dwight. If I would keep this question in mind. Okay, Dwight. If the tables were turned, would you want to be treated the same way as you are treating her now? The same way as you are treating him now? If it's turned, you're the one who's being employed. Would you still do it this way? Rabbi Hillel. Famous rabbi, died 20 years before Jesus' public ministry. 
but very well known in the time of Christ. Rabbi Hillel one day was accosted by a Gentile who said, Rabbi, I want you please to give a summary of all the law while you're standing on one foot. In other words, keep it short. Well, the, 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 the rabbis believed in the Pentateuch. They counted them, in fact, 613 laws. So summarize all of that in one sentence. That's really what I want. And Rabbi Hillel quietly reflected for one moment and then spoke these words. I'll put them on the screen for you. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole law. The rest is commentary. That's pretty good, isn't it? Along comes another younger rabbi named Rabbi Jesus. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he takes that negative expression, turns it into a positive, and it has been immortalized as the golden rule. Here's Rabbi Jesus. Whatever you want others to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The whole law is in the golden rule. Treat others the very same way you want to be treated. If you are a landlord in this community... Treat your tenants the same way you'd like to be treated if you were renting. If you're a business person, we got a lot of renters here, I see. If you are a business person in this community, treat your customer the way you would want to be treated as a customer. It would be sad if we kept cutting each other's legs out from under us. We'll all be crippled in the end. What did Jesus say? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. By the way, the golden rule helps you know how to love. Because if I just tell you love, you say, okay. But if I say treat others the way you want them to treat you, you suddenly know that no matter whether you feel warm fuzzies for this person or not, you're going to treat her, you're going to treat him the very way you would want to be treated if the tables were turned. That's the golden rule. And that's what love is all about. It's not warm fuzzies at all. You make a commitment to another human being. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I just loved you, you become the serpent. You strip down to your waist. You wash the feet of the one that you think should be taking care of you. As I have loved you, you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I suppose if the 11th commandment were to be lived out among us, it would significantly impact race relations on our campus, in our congregation, in our community, in our country. I already told you that I had the privilege of going down to GYC over the uh, New Year break. And Sabbath morning preached to 7,500 Seventh-day Adventist Young. God had impressed me to change the sermon overnight, so I was up most of the night changing it. I preached on Acts 10 and 11. I got to the end of the sermon. We we're talking about the Holy Spirit taking walls down. And I got to the end of the sermon and I said, hey, listen, guys, I didn't have any preparation for doing text messaging, so let's do this. I want to ask you to call it out loud. I will hear you and I will repeat it to the, the audience here. What, is, what walls would the Holy Spirit wish to take down in order for revival and reformation to take place? Are there any walls left up in our church? All right, go. 
And the first person to speak is a young woman. She's sitting about the fourth or fifth row right about over there. And I didn't even, I couldn't tell who it was. I just heard that young voice calling out when I said, what walls would the Holy Spirit need to take down? And she cried out, the wall of racial division. Just like that. The first one to speak. And a few moments later, that entire convocation erupted in applause. The young of the church know we got a problem. We have a problem. I know what you're thinking. Well, okay, yeah. You know, in fact, Dwight, I actually agree with that. That wall needs to come down. They need to get the wall down. They need to get the wall down. I don't care which you are in this which side of the wall you're on? No, we. In fact, as God has always shown us, now I'm going to step on your toes. As God has always shown us, the Trinity has always shown us this. It is always the responsibility of the majority to look out for and advocate on behalf of the needs of the minority. I don't care where you are in this equation. It's always the responsibility of the majority. What I've learned just hanging around this world for a few years is that fear is a huge factor in much racial misunderstanding today. Fear. Fear that you'll take over. Fear that I'll be marginalized. We'll be marginalized. Fear that we'll lose influence. The golden rule. That would be true racially. By the way, that would also be true genderly. Can I make up a word? That would be true genderly. In a male-majority world, now listen, fellas, in a male-majority world, not majority by numbers, no, but my, but. Majority by positional influence. And you know what I mean. In a male majority world, we cannot require women to become their own advocates. Nothing deflects communal interest faster than women having to serve as their own advocates, particularly in the church. Which means that it is a responsibility of men as Jesus himself powerfully modeled and exampled, it is this responsibility of men to speak up on behalf of their sisters, their mothers, their daughters, their colleagues. It is always the responsibility of the majority in God's system to look out for and advance the needs and interests of the minority, racially or genderly. How did Jesus say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you, love also, that you also love one another. By this the whole world will know you are my people if you have love for one another. An 11th commandment community like this university and like the church that founded this university must become the incarnating of the love of Christ in this world. One more concern, 11th commandment, which I suppose would even affect the way we write emails, 
text messages, and post on Facebook. This same Jesus in the upper room is utterly clear in Matthew 18 that if your sister or your brother has sinned against you, you go to her. You go to him. You do not post it on Facebook. You do not forward an email. You do not upload it on YouTube. You go to her. You go to him. The anonymity... Now listen very carefully, you high-techers. The anonymity of cyberspace provides a cloak for cowards. And demagogues who wax eloquent only when they can remain anonymous. Someday someone says, hey, who's saying this? You've lost, the cat's got my tongue, I can't speak. Because you're embarrassed to speak, that's why. And you should be. What you just put on that blog forum, you ought to be embarrassed. Cutesy little code name for you. That's why I believe, pardon me, that these blog forums that so many websites offer. And by the way, I, 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 I never, I never write, I never let anybody know I'm there. I just go to watch. <laughs> That's most of us right there. Maybe we ought to quit watching and let it die a natural death. I believe these blogs... These blog forums that so many websites offer on which you can emotionally and intellectually, if not physically, skin alive anybody you happen to disagree with. I believe there is somebody called by the apocalypse the accuser of the brothers and sisters who just salivates when that anonymous decapitation takes place. Don't you give me this, oh, it's, a, it's all in the interest of open conversation and dialogue. Rubbish. There's some things that never ought to see the light of day. It's not a sign of open-mindedness. It's a sign of cowardice. You want to have a discussion? Go to him. You want to have a discussion? Go to her. Don't go to the world. Go to the offender. That's Jesus' point. That's how you love. That's how I'd want to be treated. You got something against me? I wish you'd come straight to me. Don't post it somewhere. Don't make a YouTube about it. Just come to me. I need to hear from you. Maybe we can work this out. Don't you think that's what Jesus wanted? I mean, here's Jesus in the upper room. Less than 24 hours, guys. Less than 24 hours, and he's dead. He's gone. Finis. Don't you think the golden rule in Jesus' heart was, boy, I would sure love it if somebody in my closest, my closest companions, somebody here would strip down to the waist, become a slave just once in their blooming lives, and wash my feet and tell me that I'm important to them. So what does he do? He does what he wishes somebody would do to him. Nobody would do it. So he says, okay, I'll be the slave. I'm the king of this universe. Let me be the slave too. And he washes the feet. Unbelievable. Wow. And by the way, he not only washes the feet of the man who is about to destroy him. Sometimes you know who your destroyer is going to be. You're hanging in the same office. You know who your destroyer is. 
He washes the feet of his destroyer and then turns to the feet of one of his closest companions who under the pressure of public intense scrutiny will will deny that he even knows him. You can be sitting in a circle and they start taking on a church leader and they start ripping that leader to pieces and you're a friend of, and an acquaintance, rather friendly acquaintance of that leader and what do you do? You sit as if your tongue does not function. You say not a word and by your presence you deny that individual who is being excoriated without giving a chance to even respond a single sentence. You and I are no better than Peter. No better. Jesus washes the feet of the one who will deny him. Wow. And then, what is more for Peter and Judas and you and me and and his executioners, Jesus prays a prayer the next day that goes like this. Father, forgive Peter and Judas and Dwight and these Romans. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. Read it one more time. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Will it work? Does it really work? Let me end with a story I promised you. Here it goes. A few years ago, a friend of mine gave me the book entitled Letters to an American Lady. It's a collection of letters written by C.S. Lewis to an anonymous woman in Illinois. C.S. Lewis, arguably the greatest Christian apologist of the 20th century. So, this woman initially, apparently sent a letter to uh, Dr. Lewis, and he wrote back. And that began a 13-year correspondence. They never met face-to-face. It was just across the pond, as the Brits would put it. Letters back and forth. When the woman died, Lewis obviously preceded her in death. When the woman died, her estate gave the letters to a publisher. Now, we don't have the woman's letters to Lewis. They're gone. But the letters of Lewis to this woman went to the publisher, and so we have the book, Letters to to an American Lady. Imagine my surprise as I'm reading these letters and I discover that the woman in one letter apparently has asked C.S. Lewis what he knows about Seventh-day Adventists. (laughs) You got my attention now. I have his reply, and it's so short, and it indicates he doesn't know much at all. Her next letter, her subsequent letter back to him describes an experience she had with a real live Seventh-day Adventist in Illinois. Could have been Michigan. And Lewis, after reading that description, writes back to her, and I want you to see how C.S. Lewis responds. What you say about the seven, I like that Roman numeral seven-day Adventists, You know, you're not Adventist just on the seventh day. You're all seven days you're an Adventist. What you say about the seven-day Adventists interests me extremely. If they have so much charity, if they have so much love, there must be something very right about them. End quote. That, Jesus says, is how it works. One of the brightest minds in Christendom in the 20th century says, hey, that's in, I find that story amazing. 
if those people have that kind of love, there must be something very right about them. Wow. I guess Jesus was right. By this, the whole world will know that you are my people. By this, everybody will know there's something very right about you. By the way you love one another. I want to be that kind of human being who loves everyone. Don't you? I do. I want to be that kind of human being. And so I'm going to ask you, is it your desire to love as Jesus loved? To live by the golden rule? To treat others the way you would wish to be treated? Would you like to live that way? How about just telling God and the people in your pew, I want to live that way by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dwight, I'll stand with you. And by standing, I'm going to say to all this campus and to the world, I wish to live by the self-sacrificing love of Christ Jesus. If you want to live that way, would you mind just standing to your feet? Oh, God. Jesus couldn't have been clearer. We get the point. We don't need a study guy. We got the point. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, triune God, please. There's nothing great about us. We understand that. But we stand because we want the story to turn out the same way. If he has that much charity, if she has that much love, there must be something very right about that nice person. We want to be those people on this campus, in this congregation, in this world. Dear God, please, the golden rule, let us love like the Lord Jesus. And may the world through us be drawn to him. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.